You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. Welcome back to Ashburton. We're uh, about ready to start now. It's political commentary. With news, newsrooms, Mark Delder. Morena, Mark, how are you? I'm I'm great. I'm I'm back from the dead like Winston Peters. Nice. Yeah, it's a whole time in coalition talks, which we'll get stuck into in a minute. But I want to start with a really interesting thing we've seen come out from local government this week. Uh, the mayors of Christchurch and now Wellington have both called for a ceasefire in Gaza, uh, which is notable perhaps uh, because we don't often see local government make those international uh, statements. What What's your take on, on this this position from um, both of those leaders? Yeah, I think the Wellington was perhaps perhaps less surprising with Torresano obviously being quite a, a left-wing um, mayor. The, the Christchurch one may be more interesting and also because that came in, in the form of a sort of formal letter to a group of um, countries, mm. oh, sorry, cities that, that are aligned around peace issues saying that, that 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 whole group should align to call for a ceasefire. Um, I, I don't really know the, the background there, but it's certainly interesting. And, and um, I think representative of what's happening elsewhere in the world where um, many local governments are sort of um, seeing this as an opportunity to use their platforms uh, in a way that they haven't necessarily before on an issue where maybe they feel like their central governments aren't, um, aren't you know, uh, echoing their values. Mm, absolutely. And that seems to be a very uh, core <clears throat> excuse me, core idea at the moment. Uh, we are seeing absolute silence really coming out of uh, both the outgoing and the incoming prime ministers. Uh, they have made some very sort of soft statements, but what's your take on, on their position on, uh, on calling for a ceasefire or not calling for a ceasefire at the moment? Uh, is it striking that we're hearing no, no comment from them really? Yeah, it's a good question. In order for Chris Hipkins to call for a ceasefire, he would need the the sort of approval of Christopher Luxon to do that. So it's hard to say whether the the lack of anything from the current caretaker government is a result of that government's own beliefs and and, and desires or a result of Christopher Luxon's. And I guess we'll find out once those negotiations are complete, when Luxon is able to actually um, answer some questions about government policy, where he stands on this and... uh, and, you know, what he wants to see happen going forwards. Yeah. Yeah, we have seen, I mean, huge, huge protests calling for ceasefire uh, consistently across the country for a month now. Do you think that this is going to serve the incoming government poorly to be ignoring this on a long-term scale? I think if once they're in, they um, they continue to sort of try and dodge questions and 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 you know not have a clear position. I think that will be harmful. I think it's an issue that pe- clearly a lot of people care very deeply about, um, and which is pretty rare for a foreign affairs issue as well. So I think it will be uh, yeah uh, one of the first sort of big things that they'll have to figure out and face and and. and you know, take a position on. Mm. Well, they are taking their time with the coalition talks. Of course, I'm sure everybody saw the photo of uh, the three leaders of the coalition parties uh, finally sitting around a table together yesterday. It's been a month, really, since the initial election results came in. Is this an unusually long time uh, from a from a political commentator's perspective that we're seeing these these talks take? I think it's it's probably 
roughly in line with some of the previous ones. You know, in 2017, um, they were done around a month after the election, but it also took two, one fewer week, one week less for the special votes to come in mm-hmm. in 2017 than it did this time. So if something, you know, if a government forms, uh, you know, over the weekend or early next week, that's pr- probably pretty closely in line with what happened in 2017 in terms of the timeline after the specials. Um, where it's notable, I guess, is is uh, that in, uh, you know, Luxon came into this pr- promising a, a quick um, negotiation process, saying he was a good negotiator, that he wanted to get a strong, stable government very quickly, and, and has just clearly been, been stymied. Um, you know, he promised no leaks, and, and we now kind of seem to know quite a few details of the talks in a way that we haven't always in the past, mm-hmm. um, almost leakier than, than before. And so it all just seems to be maybe, um, you know, not not hugely divergent from what we've seen in the past, but because Luxon promised it would be different from in the past, yeah. uh, you know, notable in that way. Absolutely. And there has been, uh, I think, uh, perhaps quite a lot of uh, importance put on the fact that Winston seems to be the person calling the shots on where the talks are happening and how they're happening. Do you have any thoughts around that? Is it surprising or perhaps what you'd expect from Winston Peters? What What, what is your position on that one? Yeah, I think um, not surprising. You know, Winston has done this more times than anyone probably. Um, and so he knows how to get leverage, how to um, you know play his his hand of cards and, and the hand that he's been dealt. Um, so yeah, I think it's just Winston being Winston, which isn't to say that it, it's not um, you know effective. Uh, it clearly works at getting them around the table, at getting the attention, you know, making sure he's he's still seen as as uh, you know uh, if if not the number one, at least one of three equals rather than the, the little side partner. Mm. And so, um, you know, it, it, it has a purpose and it, and it serves that purpose. Totally. Well, let's look ahead to what might be happening when we do actually have a government properly formed. Uh, the National Party said that they would reinstate offshore oil and gas exploration in Aotearoa. There's been some really um, strong calls from uh, leaders around the world, particularly in the Pacific, Vanuatu this week, asking them not to do that. Uh, you've written about this this week, Mark. What's, in, what's most significant and standing out to you from this conversation? Yeah, I think um, the fact that National has been caught off guard by this opposition from other countries, this very public opposition from other countries to their policies. Mm. Uh, I went to the Pacific Islands Forum last week and, and, and wrote about this issue. And before we left, um, I asked Jerry Brown, you know, do you think that National's policy on, on oil and gas will be well received by the Pacific? And he said, well, I don't think they'll comment on our domestic policy, just like we wouldn't comment on theirs. And that just kind of shows how much he underestimated the importance of this issue to mm. the Pacific and, and how much the issue of climate change has kind of changed uh, since, you know, Jerry Brownlee was last in government from uh, every country is, you know, doing their own thing, it's domestic policy, we don't comment on it, to actually there's a huge global process for um, increasing ambition, for, for you know, uh, urging others to do better while also trying to find ways to do better ourselves. And, and so it's really not sort of just a domestic policy in the same way as, say, uh, healthcare funding or taxation might mm. be. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. When when they are, uh, I guess, starting to make actions, when we do, everything feels very like when th- when we have a government and things yeah. are happening. Are you expecting that this will be quite a hot button topic in terms of both public and uh, political conversation? I think it will be because I think uh, the public has got used to you know five years of not having that oil and gas exploration going on, and it's been really valuable uh, for New Zealand's sort of reputation as a climate leader. You know, mm. we got a lot of claim when that decision was first made in in 2018, and it means that when we go around uh, urging other countries not to be extracting fossil fuels, you know, we've got a leg to stand on here. And and you know, New Zealand is part of an alliance of countries called the Beyond Oil and Gas Alliance, which is specifically around ending fossil fuels. If we if we restart offshore oil and gas exploration, we're likely to get kicked out, which is a pretty embarrassing thing to do. I've been trying to figure out what the process is for that, and it turns out that when they formed this alliance, they didn't create a process for kicking out members because of backtracking, because why would you? Um, so <laughs> yeah. they're going to have to develop one just for us because we've done the thing that you're really not supposed to be doing in the climate space, which is taking a step backwards rather than taking as many steps forward as mm. you possibly can. We'll see how far embarrassment can take uh, can take us, eh? Uh, well, thank you, Mark, yeah. for your time this morning. Really appreciate your thoughts on what's going on uh, in Aotearoa and overseas. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Take care. Thanks so much for having me. You just heard a bit of political commentary. That was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B-card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.